Hello and welcome to episode 158 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. Please give us a follow at LAFC S2S on all your social media platforms. Throw us a like and a subscribe would be appreciated. Tell those friends. As always, folks, my name is Jonathan Reimer and joining this evening, none other than Christopher Signs. Good evening, sir. What's going down, Black and Gold family? Happy to be back. LAFC has had two matches since the League's Cup has ended, one was a win, one was a loss, and definitely we should have had two wins coming out of this uh, this past week. But uh, we return yet again. New month, new rivalry. Miami, next opponent. Are you excited for this match this upcoming weekend, my brother? I am a little nervous about it. I think more than excited. <laughs> I think this whole messy mania brings with it so many logistical frustrations for the 3252 in the stadium. Obviously, Miami went from being the worst team in MLS to a team that everyone thinks has MLS Cup aspirations, despite still being in last place, which is just a crazy thing to say. Uh, but given the talent that they have added to that roster and the way it has performed so far, uh, this game went from being a laughable game in which we were going to destroy a poor team uh, in a game in which I don't even know if LAFC are the favorites anymore. Uh, I think from a narrative standpoint, everyone is circling this on Miami's calendar, saying that this is going to be their first quote unquote big test. But uh it's a, it's a little unique to be at home, and yet most people watching are not assuming LAFC are going to walk away with the points in this one. So that that prevents a very, very unique thing around this whole messy mania fiasco that is, uh, let's albeit a brilliant thing for Major League Soccer that he's here. Uh, the amount of eyes, the amount of dollars, the progression this is going to have for the sport are, are all fantastic. And we're going to have to put up with some of the frustrating things about it uh, in the meantime. But from a game standpoint, it's going to be an exciting match. Uh, I hate to say it, but uh, I am not going to be there. Uh, I'm going to be calling the King Tournament, uh, which is uh, a seven-a-side tournament, uh, money tournament that'll be starting at 7.30 in the morning out in Ontario in Upland uh, and running till a little after 1030 at night. So I have a 15 hour broadcast schedule that day. I'll be calling dozens of games over the course of uh, 15 hours. So I'm going to be buried in soccer that day and yet somehow unable to watch Messi. Well, you know, so what you're saying is that for anybody that's available on Sunday, uh, if you wanted to go out to Ontario and watch yourself a little footy, indoor footy, arena football, as it's called, not the not the one with the makeshift field goals. I'm talking about proper, proper football. We could make it out to Ontario and you could watch some of the Kings Cup, which is uh, hosted by Frank Tayu, MASL arena soccer legend, breaking all sorts of records, continuing to play well into his 30s. Uh, but it, it should be a fun time. It's anything. It's kind of like that uh, seven, the seven aside tournament that happened PST. earlier in the year. PST, that's right. Yeah, yeah the, the soccer tournament. Uh, yeah, so Kings Cup, very similar. It's going to be a seven aside, except rather than the tournament taking place over the course of a few weeks, the tournament's all taking place in one day. So opening match, 
7.30 in the morning, and the finals will happen at 10 p.m. at night. Uh, the finals uh, is going to be broadcast on Canela Television and the MASL broadcast on Twitch. The early qualifying rounds in the morning will be available on YouTube via the King's Cup. Uh, it's a really exciting thing. The King, Frank Tayu, uh, the all-time leading scorer in the history of the Major Arena Soccer League, is putting on this tournament. Uh, he tapped me along with a number of other broadcasters from the Major Arena Soccer League to take part in the festivities. So I will be playing host to 15 hours of soccer tournament that day and uh, trying to pay attention as best I can from my phone, I guess. Although, I, as you can imagine, during a broadcast, it's uh, very difficult to pay attention to a game. So I'm hoping I get out of a call, I run to check my phone, and we have absolutely destroyed Miami. 6 7 nothing would be fantastic. Love to see Messi get a red card. That'd be great. So, you know, just to put a little context into it, too, uh, we have to uh, stand corrected uh, corrections and retractions uh, based on earlier sentiments. Uh, Inter-Miami is no longer in last place in the East. Uh, That now now is uh, for Toronto FC, uh, who have 19 points. Inter-Miami has 21 points. Also, Inter-Miami has three games in hand. Uh, Is Toronto going to finish the season with fewer points than they have millions of dollars spent on their roster? That's going to be the question. I think every team finishes with fewer points than money spent on their millions of dollars in roster. No, I'm just saying, I'm saying, so like, let's say right now they have 19 points, 19 million would be, so 19 points, 19 million is what I'm saying. So will they finish the season with fewer points than they have spent millions of dollars, like in millions on their roster, which I believe their roster Mm was in the twenties, uh, 27, maybe I think was their total roster spend for, for all the crazy Italians that they brought in that none of which worked out. I think it's definitely going to be hard for Inter Miami. I'm sorry for Toronto to uh, finish the season. There's still eight games left on their schedule for them to not get five points. I think is a little. little... I I think it's a legit question. I think it's a legit question. If they finish the season with fewer points than millions of dollars spent on roster, you heard it here first. That's all I'm saying. Um, no, look, uh, you know, joking aside, I don't want Messi to get a red card. I, I would like to see him play the whole game and play well, and that amounts to nothing. I would love to see Messi get shut down by Ilya and Aaron Long. I think, you know, Kalini versus Messi and, you know, watching Kalini stop Messi would just be a, a glorious thing for all of us in the black and gold community. But uh, um, it's, it's a great thing that Messi's here, right? The dollars are insane. I mean, and, and you know what, if Miami were to make a run, into the playoffs, I would have to say that this would have to go down as one of the um, most. I mean, you have to recognize Inter Miami for all the effort. If they to go from the cellar all the way into seventh place, uh, which mathematically is not impossible, but it's definitely a very uphill battle. It's a tall order. You know, Miami, 23 games played. Most teams have at least played 24, 25. Some have played 26. So at least three games in hand with some teams, 21 points, seventh place in Nashville right now has 38 points uh, with 25 matches played. I, I mean, it's it, it could happen. And if it does, I do think that Miami is a team you'll have to worry about in the playoffs. But either way, I think that should Messi play, because there also is the idea of whether or not he's even going to uh, dress for this upcoming Sunday with the 
international call-ups for Argentina. Tata Martino came out and talked about Messi is going to be missing some of these matches because the uh, uh, Argentina has um, international matches. So we don't know exactly which matches he's going to miss. Uh, Miami has a match this upcoming Wednesday against Nashville. Uh, and then they play us this upcoming weekend on Sunday. So um, it, if Messi were to dress, I think that it would be an amazing atmosphere. And I do think that it would be a uh, top-tiered team affair. I would love to see Messi at BMO in an MLS Cup final. I, I, I'd take that. I, I think that's you know the only chance we really have to worry about Miami in the postseason is if they make it to a final. And if we're worried about who we play in the final, I'll take it, right? All day. I'd happily have LAFC make a final if it means we get to play Miami or whoever comes out of the East, right? But if it ends up being Miami, Messi in a final and getting to beat him and 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 be the ones to to dethrone him in that regard would be would be glorious. I, I would take it in a heartbeat. Um, it, it's interesting, you know? I mean, in all the improvements that they've made to that Miami team, the vast majority of those improvements are, are all midfield and offense, right? I mean, the defense that was atrocious throughout the course of this season up until recently, it's still the same defense that's out there. Like, yes, they, they've got a few young kids coming in that have performed well, but they're a team that can be scored on. And we've seen this in virtually every game they've played. They have to constantly come back from behind, right? So, so the key to beating Miami is simply to keep your foot on the gas. Do not let them come up for air. And that requires a more possession style of football. And, and this is where I think we have to look back to some of the previous games, see the direction that Dolo has gone with his tactics and coaching this season, and, and start to raise some very serious questions about whether yielding possession and playing simply as a counterattacking team is the best philosophy versus every single opponent. Because really, since CCL, we've really switched our style completely from being possession-oriented to be more counterattacking. And that might work great against some teams. It was an atrocious decision versus Charlotte. Uh, I think that decision-making in itself was one of the biggest reasons why we were so dominated throughout the course of that Charlotte game. And, and the domination was, was prolific. I mean, we allowed more passes versus Charlotte in the midfield than we have against any other team ever. The, the statistics coming out of that game from our passing, it was our worst passing game of the season. And, and our midfield was absolutely atrocious in their performance versus Sharp, right? right? The numbers don't lie. I mean, the numbers said this is one of the worst games LAFC have ever played. Certainly the worst game we've played this season. So when you have a team like Charlotte that wants the ball, that wants to be possession-oriented, allowing you know them to, to have that run of game and to control the pace of game. LAFC had no control over the game at any point in time. I, I just don't think that's going to be great against a team that has Busquets, that has a Messi in the team, that back to goal can, you know, it doesn't matter if you have five defenders on him, all he needs is one glimpse of a look and, and he can pick a team apart. We're going to have to approach this game stylistically from a completely different methodology than we have over the last few games. Would you agree? I, I do. I, I definitely think that you know, you you prepare each match for the opponent that you're facing, and the game plan that you have going in against Charlotte is definitely not going to be the game plan that you have going against Miami. Um, either iteration of Miami, whether it be the iteration pre-Messi, 
or the iteration post Messi. Um, and I, I think that there were definitely some errors that were, that, that were had in, in Charlotte. And I, I don't, I don't necessarily know what those were um, factors from what led to those errors or why the team came out so flat. Uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. This team, this LAFC team definitely has this hot and cold streaks about them. Uh, you know, pre leagues cup LAFC was definitely cold and they were out of sync and not in tune. And then in the leagues cup, they started to look sharp again. And we definitely saw glimpses and flashes of the team that got us that MLS cup and the supporter shield last year. Then when you see the match against uh, Monterrey that we lost and how they came back and how they beat us in those last 30 minutes of the match. It was, it was again, all those questions popped up. What is, you know, here is the team again that, that is streaky and hot and cold. And, uh, and so then, you know, we play against Colorado and Colorado is again, a team that is not in their best form not having the the best experiences either. We have a very dominant performance, and then we go to Charlotte and we look flat again. I mean, it's really hard to understand where this team is at mentally and physically when there is a constant yo-yo of performances on the pitch. And it's not like the personnel was radically different b- between the two games, Colorado and uh, Charlotte. Right. I mean, it was roughly the exact same starting 11. I think there was only one change to the starting 11. Um, and, and yet we saw two wildly different performances. And and sure, some of that can be can be chalked up to the opponent. But in, in both cases, you're talking about terrible teams. Charlotte is not a good team. Colorado is an absolutely awful team. That's a dumpster fire that has all kinds of other problems from ownership on down from plague ridden prairie rats to, you know, Stan Kroenke forgetting at times that he even owns the team. Uh, you know, Charlotte, I, I suppose, is in a slightly better situation than than Colorado's in. But Charlotte is still not a good team, right? And, and I know it was on the road. It was hot. It was humid. We were playing on turf. You know, the line between factors in a loss and excuses for a loss is, is very thin in this community. And, and I certainly don't want to be here and make excuses for the team. We can call all of those things contributors to what happened on the day. But... I, I mean, when you look at some of the decision making that happened, the the one moment that stands out, I think, in everyone's mind in this game was preceding that very first goal scored by Charlotte, where you have Timothy Tillman takes on half of their team, smokes through him, gets himself all the way in, you know, to, to the final zone there. It's a three on two. All we got to do is make two quick passes and it's a tap in. And he passes the ball right, right to the opponent. And rather than stopping, going and winning that ball back, something that a Latif blessing would do the second he turned a ball over. Tillman puts his head in his lap, his hands on his knees, gets frustrated. They charge back the other direction. Boom. It's one, nothing Charlotte. Right. And and it's little moments like that where our passing, especially from our midfielders was so bad throughout the course of this game, especially the progressive passes. Um, you know, it was just infuriating to watch. And I couldn't agree with you more that the Jekyll and Hyde nature of this team right now is something that I think all of us are really struggling to wrap our heads around. Like, yes, we have some new players. Yes, they're still trying to figure it out and gel. No, I don't think this is going to be our form at the end of the season. But it is concerning right now what we are seeing. 
when you have players that are making those kind of egregious errors in the course of the game. And and both goals had egregious errors on it. I, I think we can all agree that the the combination of Long and Maldonado is not our best foot forward and center back, right? That's That's probably our third and fifth string center backs right now. I mean, I think most people would rate Mamadou Fall higher than Maldonado. The fact that Fall hasn't really gotten any minutes and didn't play in this game is is a bit alarming about his current situation. His form with Villarreal Bay was was pretty good. I mean, he was he was playing a lot of minutes and playing particularly well while he was overseas. You know, he returns had a couple of moments in, in which he looked shaky at best back with us and hasn't seen the pitch since. So, so there's something going on there. The Palacio situation is another thing that's concerning. He's been out for some time, you know, for a family matter that that the club is not going to comment on. I understand that. And then all of a sudden transfer rumors come out around him and, and potentially he's been away from the club negotiating. So, I, I mean, there's a lot that seems to be kind of falling apart at a time in which the team needs to be putting it together. Well, I... You know, I think you make some very solid points and that, that people in the community are definitely wondering and, and, and looking for clarification on, um, you know, in regards to Mamadou Fall, I think we need to also keep into the perspective that Villarreal Bay plays in like the, the third division. Like that's that's the, what the level of play is, you know, so even though he was getting good minutes with that side. You know, I I, I would not I would like to believe that the third division in Spain is not at the level of the MLS. So it's, you know, it's, it's, he was getting minutes in what I would hope to be lower quality play, but maybe somebody in this community knows their division Spanish soccer better than I do. And they can let us know at LAFCS2S uh, on all social media handles. Please feel free to let us know and educate us in the ways of third division Spanish soccer. Yeah, I can't say I, I know anything about what's going on in that league. I'm, I'm not, look, I, I don't have the bandwidth to be watching lower division continental European soccer. That, I'm going to be honest not... with you. I have a hard enough time following first division Spanish soccer, bro. Like it's, <laughs> I, it's I'm with so you much. right there. Um, just... I, there's, there's a lot going on in Spain right now that uh, makes me not so eager to uh, give them my attention at the moment until they handle some of their housekeeping that very clearly needs yeah. to happen but that's they got a whole the, dumpster that's fire more the national that's more the national team but i digress right um right. yeah no, that's, that's it, off topic when we uh when we do look at these center back pairings you know what we can't sit we we have identified as a team with depth from the very beginning of the season right we have we have raised that banner of depth right and now we have added depth in positions that we had movement in, right? We lost Quadro Mahala Poku. Okay. We have reinforces now as strikers. Our midfield was definitely somewhere where I think that we had lacked some depth, but then we have Bogush come in and he solidifies, helps solidify that midfield. And our center back pairings throughout the season, whether it was injury or minutes or international. Uh, representation I feel like we have always had uh, fluid chemistry with our center back pairings you know every once in a while we would have something where a game where it's just like wow that pairing didn't look ideal but it was it was palatable Um, I think this was one of the first games where I think that people were really concerned about the center back pairing and 
you know, maybe that's something we need to see as we get ready for the postseason so that we are at least working out the kinks at a time in the season where you have a little bit more flexibility for results. Sure. I, I mean, I I think there have been rumblings about our center backs all season. Uh, Maldonado had a, a string of poor games in, you know, that time in which he was our only option back there. Uh, gave up a few penalties, was too quick to go to his feet when defending in the box. Uh, the questions around Aaron Long, I mean, certainly some of our other members of the pod fam have been beaten on the anti-Aaron Long drum all season long. The guy's a former MLS Defender of the Year. He does some really good stuff for us defensively and has some great moments. Uh, his distribution's atrocious. I think we saw in this last game versus Charlotte. And if you watch Aaron Long and you listen to any of the other podcasts, which I'm sure you all do, you know that he just cannot pass the ball forward if there is a defender between him and the person he's passing it to. He he cannot pass past a defender, right? I and mean, he's never going to break a line with any of his passes. His passes are always left, right, or back. And if it's forward, it's to a defensive mid that has retreated to get the ball from him. He's never going to pass the ball through pressure or around pressure. It's just not going to happen. And we saw this manifest itself in in like an alarming way versus Charlotte, where he's on the ball and he doesn't have an, an obvious option left or right. And rather than try and play the ball forward and just see what happens, he literally just passed the ball out of bounds. And just turned over possession and was like, well, there wasn't someone to my left or right, so I'm just going to pass it left anyway. And there was nobody there and the ball goes out of bounds. Um, You know, he's caught flat footed on the second goal as uh, the man that he was marking just moved in behind him to collect the rebound. And and he was caught ball watching. I mean, there are a few moments like that that are frustrating to watch. Uh, And then he'll come out and he'll have two or three amazing defensive clearances and you'll see exactly why you know, the amount of money was invested in him at the time that it was. So it's been it's been hot and cold for Aaron Long all season. It's been ups and downs. And there have a lot of people that have been riding the downs. But we have Mamadou fall back. We have Eddie Segura, who's back healthy as well, too. By all accounts, he was re-signed with the team. He's there. He's in training. He's probably not ready for, for match fitness yet. But I, I think the fact that when Eddie Segura and Mamadou fall came back, that that didn't prompt the team to sell any one of the other center backs, I think it speaks to, you know, look, the fact that Kalini is his age and is not going to be able to play 90 minutes week in, week out. He's not going to be able to travel and play on turf like like versus Charlotte. So, I, I mean, there's only so much you're going to get out of Kalini. Uh, I think Mario got that lower extremity bug that seems to be going around the team. So he's out at the moment. Uh, and with those two out, Dolo has said that, you know, Long and Maldonado are the next two up and Segura and Fall are, are fifth and sixth on the depth chart. And I just don't know if that's something the community agrees with. But obviously, we're not there in training, seeing how these players are performing. But it, it is questionable. You know, when it comes to coaching uh, and, and questioning coaching decisions, I find it really hard for most people in this community to be able to question a lot of it anyways because let's be honest most of us in this community have played and haven't played anything other than adult league soccer and high school right very few of us have played at an elite level of college to know really right to to be able to have like an actual opinion with some emphasis on the backside of it but I'm certainly not you or i right well let's, let's, right let's, admit let's it. raise the hand but yeah. i don't think anybody i don't think anybody would listen to my opinion when it comes to who should be playing what positions all i do know though is that we have to keep in mind 
Aaron Long is is had recovered from an injury that had kept him out for the majority of last season. Who knows if he's ever going to be the version of himself pre-injury. Same thing with Eddie Segura. That injury has kept him out for well over a year. Who knows if Eddie Segura is ever going to be the Eddie Segura that we knew of last year. Um and and you know I who knows why why uh Fall is not playing. Uh but right we I, we don't have access to 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 that information. We don't know. The club's never going to give us that information, but it, it's certainly speculative when you see the kind of performances that that both of them had. Maldonado absolutely culpable on that that first goal. Uh also the midfield not 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 tracking those late runners into the box was a part of that as well too. I don't think 100% of the blame goes on him, but a significant portion. Uh, and, and on that second goal as well too. Now certainly LAFC created their chances in this game. And something that we've talked about ad nauseum this year is is the inability to finish those chances. Uh Buanga had a few looks you would expect him to put in. Um Mario I mean, the jury's still out on him. You know, his XG is great. He's been in a lot of great positions. His hold-up play, his ability to be that back-to-goal offensive threat is just not something that LAFC have had for some time, a player that that can do those types of things as a target forward. So I, I like what he's bringing to the team. The finishing has not been there, and it is a source of frustration for many people at this moment. I totally get it. Kike Oliveira, same thing. Very, very small sample size. He's got himself a goal. Fantastic. But again, we've seen some big misses from him in big moments where you would expect a striker to have a little bit, little bit more clinical ability in those moments. Fufu Krostev, uh, another one as well, too. Very new to see what he brings to attacking midfield. Hopefully we can find something out of him like we've found in Bogus so far. I like the addition of Mario, probably most of all of these additions. I really think he brings something different to this team. But obviously, the big misses in big moments stand out brightly in everybody's mind at the moment. And, and that's something I'd like to see him get to the other side of, and, and hopefully he will. But Chris, I'm I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the new additions and how they've performed so far? I, I do think that there's a lot of high expectations for uh for Mario. And also for uh, Kiki Oliveira, but uh, you know, honestly, I think the person that I'm most enjoying to watch is Fufu Krastev. I, I by far, I think that, uh, and maybe that's because there's lower expectations for a, a player of his age uh, and experience. But I feel like he has been playing very well, and when he is subbed in, that. Um, He's you you see what he brings to the matches when he gets subbed in. And so he is one of my uh, favorite players to watch currently uh, right now with the with the newest electric electric stuff. I mean, he's got some moves in the midfield. They're absolutely brilliant. I, I completely agree with you there. Mario fills the biggest role, right? He's wearing the number nine. That That is a massive statement. What have you thoughts on him so far? Uh, I wish it was Chicho Arango. <laughs> that's that's. <laughs> I I wish it was I wish or it was Diego Chico. Rossi. I don't yeah. No, no, no. I wish it was Chicho Arango. I wish if we could go back and get Chicho Arango. But I, I mean, you know, but that's because we can see what I you know, again, I I like players that play for this club not only because of what they do on the pitch, but because of what they mean to the community and how they are with the fans. And not to say that, 
you know, Diego wasn't great, but I mean, Chicho was amazing on all fronts and it's, it's really hard to see him wear an RSL jersey. It's hard to see Diego wear a Columbus jersey. Uh, but we have Mario right now, and I hope that Mario does well. And, you know, again, the players do take some time to adjust to the travel, to the temperature, to, you know, the physicality of the league. There's all these things. He's only been here for a month. I think that we may need to temper some expectations a little bit. Uh, but and hopefully he hits his stride later this month. Now I have to pose a question to you, right? Uh, in the Conca Champions League, which is now known as the Conca Champions Cup, there's only a handful of spots, right? And I think that this team and this fan base looks at every season that we don't qualify for the CCC is a failed season. Okay. Like there, it's a huge letdown and we are not playing to our potential. So given the fact of how we finished in the league's cup, there was four, four spots available. We didn't get any of them right now. If I, if my calculations are correct, the only spots available are the first place team in the West the first place team in the East, one of them being the Supporter Shield, uh, the other being the conference champion from the other, the, the conference uh, leading points, and the MLS Cup winner and the U.S. Open Cup. LAFC is not in the U.S. Open Cup. So do you think where we sit, looking at the schedule we have with the rotations, with the amount of games played, LAFC is currently sitting in second place behind St. Louis. We're four points behind. Do you think LAFC, are you confident? Are you comfortable with thinking, you know what? It's okay. I'm still, I'm still going to see my team get to the first place in West in the West. And we're going to be able to secure one of those spots. I think dropping points versus Charlotte was a big hit in trying to take the West. Now, I know there's a lot of games left and people are like, whoa, how can you call that right now? It's certainly not over. Four points is completely doable. Even with two games left, four points is still doable, right? So, so we're certainly not out of first place in the West right now. But if you look at our next few games, we got Inner Messi showing up this weekend. We then have a Portland Timbers team, which we should absolutely destroy them, but they're going to have a brand new coach. And you know how teams play whenever they get a new coach that they always manage to put in some big performances once they get a new coach. Plus, Portland always seems to, to be up for LAFC matches, so I don't think that's as big a walk in the park as one would think. Then we have the Derby and Carson coming to BMO. And again, as much as Carson is a terrible team this year, we know that when it comes to playing us, they instantly look like the best version of themselves. Something I wish I could say about LAFC, that we always play our best versus Galaxy. Uh, but it hasn't been the case, hasn't been the case this season. I'm certainly hoping it is the case on September 16th, but you never know. Those games are not something you can predict. Those games tend to go in wild trajectories, right? So who knows? Then we have uh, arguably one of the, the biggest games with, with St. Louis City. We follow that up with a trip to Philadelphia, and we come back from Philadelphia, and four days later, oh, yeah, we have the Campiones Cup versus Tigres, right? It's not until October 
that we start seeing the likes of RSL, Minnesota, Austin, and then finishing the season with Vancouver. So, I mean, RSL, Minnesota, Austin, Vancouver, those are games you think LAFC absolutely is the favorite in. However, when it comes to Tigres, away at Union, away at St. Louis, hosting Galaxy, and away at Portland, and hosting Messi, September is going to be a pretty rough month to be able to say LAFC are taking all the points this month, right? So, I mean, look, Supporter Shield is out the window. Anyone who thinks LAFC is going to win Supporter Shield at this point is, is drinking the Kool-Aid and really not paying attention to any of the facts here. It's gone. We're not going to win Shield. So, and we have a difficult month ahead of us, but a very easy final four games to the season, all things considered. So if we can make it through September and be within three, four points of first place at the end of the month, if we're, let's just say, in the same position we are now with four games remaining in the season, I still think LAFC has a really good chance to make it out as the number one team in the West, get that by, guarantee yourself home field throughout the West and see what happens in an MLS Cup. So I do think winning the West is still possible. Absolutely everyone in this community thinks winning an MLS Cup is still possible. But again, we get back to these Jekyll and Hyde performances, the inconsistencies, bringing in so many new players so late in the season and trying to change so many things, not to mention the fact that we've employed completely new tactics this year. We know the team basically went 90 days without having any real trainings because we were playing so many games. So now Dolo is trying to implement his philosophy with new players and it's late in the season. You know, if we scuffle for a few weeks getting it together and figure it out come playoffs, then I still believe this team has a chance to hoist the cup. But if we don't figure it out between now and the end of the year, we scuffle going into the playoffs and end up dropping to a third or fourth seed then the prospects of making the CCC next year look very grim. And I know that that is a major goal for this franchise because the monetary impact of being in champions is massive for this club. And not to mention the exposure, the opportunity at glory and all those things. But but from a financial standpoint, making Conca Champions Cup is, is a must for this team. So I don't know, man. It's it's going to be, I think we're going to have a much clearer picture of how things look when we have four games left in the season. And this next upcoming month is massive. I think that if we can walk away with um, 10, 10 points from the five matches, I think that that would be really good, a really good place. And I, and we have to get a win against St. Louis. St. Louis has to be three of those 10 points because that, especially now they talk about the coming close to the postseason. Those are those six point matches, right? Like that's a six point match against St. Louis. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, That's a must win. That game is going to be massive in determining. I mean, if we slip to seven, eight points back, becomes a much, much, much steeper hill. Well, and not only that, it's going to help leading into the postseason with the confidence should we have to face St. Louis again. Amen. Uh, Do you you care about the Campiones Cup at all? The one game cup versus Tigres? So, unpopular opinion, I do. Okay. Should LAFC fall short in the playoffs, because we all know that the playoff structure is hard, this is potentially the only trophy that LAFC is going to pull that could be lifted this season. I'm okay with that. 
We are always talking about wanting to add trophies to the trophy case. Doesn't matter how insignificant or how major, we like to be able to add hardware to the trophy case. So in my opinion, yes, the Campeones Cup is very important. Um, outside of the fact that it may potentially be the only the only trophy that we lift at the end of the season. Um, but even if it even if we lift the MLS Cup, I would still love the ability to say, hey, we had two cups in one year again. I would love to beat a Mexican team when a cup was on the line, right? I mean, that's something that in LAFC's tenure, uh, we have never done, right? Uh, we've come close. We beat some big Mexican teams, but the games versus Leon, the games versus Monterey, the games versus Tigre stand out in everybody's memory because when the chips were all in, uh, we struggled versus Liga MX teams. And so if we go into this, uh, and are able to take this cup from them. I, I do think that's a big deal just from a psychological standpoint to say that when there's a cup on the line, LAFC can perform, even if this cup does not come with conca ties to it, which uh, makes it obviously less valuable by comparison to some of the others. But but I think LAFC are still absolutely within a chance to, to win the West. Uh, I think our chances to win MLS Cup haven't changed a whole lot throughout the course of the season. And... I think we have a chance to to win a spot through one of those. Obviously, I think we would all prefer to win the West and have that in the bag going into the playoffs, which, as you know, can be a crapshoot. And just avoiding that first round with this weird new, like, series-style playoff format in the first round where you got to win a best of three games in the first round. If we could just bypass that whole thing, that would be fantastic because... That's a lot of games. That's a lot of minutes. And and I think many of us are unhappy with that particular change to the playoff format this year anyway. So being able to to bypass that whole thing would, would save us from having to deal with what is clearly just we want more playoff games because there are more money and more eyes on the league. Um, at, at detriment, I think, to the quality of play that we are going to see. And I think teams that are going to have to go to that third match in round one of the playoffs – the physical toll that that's going to take is is going to be a big factor going into that second round of the playoffs. So I would love to be able to leapfrog that whole thing and make it all the way in. I would love it if, you know, the supporter shield held more weight, like the ability for the supporter shield to be recognized in the same way that it's recognized in other leagues uh, and what it means to have the most points all season long that, I just I wish the supporter shield was valued more amongst the MLS community. It's a shame. I think what but... you would need is a home and away versus every team in the league. Right? And and if you don't have a home and an away versus every team in the league, which you can't do in MLS because we have 900 teams in the league, it it, it makes it impossible for that to have the value that it has in other leagues where you're guaranteed one home and one away versus every team on the table. So the points are a more accurate reflection of, of how your team you know stands come the end of the year. Whereas in the, this current iteration where you're not playing every team, not even there's some teams you're not even playing, let alone having a home and away versus all those teams. Uh, it makes it difficult for that to be as accurate a barometer of talent and performance. Right. And, and so I, I get why people have strayed away. Um, I, I think really, to be honest, it's the fans that have kept the supporter shield a thing. Um, but as the league continues to grow and, and that parody in schedule continues to, to, to drift even further and further away from truly equal, 
then you're right. It, it does cheapen the supporter shield. And, and, you know, you, you have teams like St. Louis this year that took advantage of the fact that the West was terrible. Um, they got almost all the poor teams at home and they won their first 10 straight home games without even tying. And so that, you know, they got a massive jump based on their schedule. Uh, and I look, no disrespect to them that, you know, they beat teams and, you know, uh, handled their business. I mean, it was a lot of one nils, but Hey, that's three points. So, I, I mean, you have years like this where a team that I look, I don't think in any of the conversation around the league is anyone considering, you know, the, the front runners in the shield to be front runners for the cup. So, I mean, they're, they're just statistical anomalies that develop throughout the curse of this current scheduling that, that make it difficult for that to be the real thing. But I, I think we've waxed on about it enough. My friend, do you have anything else for today's show before we call it quits? Yes. This is a reminder to everyone in the black and gold community that even though Lionel Messi is coming to BMO, uh, support your club, support your home team, especially in the North end. Right. No non LAFC apparel will be allowed. Right. We need to uh, come come and represent our colors. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more pink in that stadium than we've ever seen before. And they are unfortunately not going to be Angel City FC kits. They're going to be. So get this. I have heard a rumor. And I'm just going to leave it at that. But it's a substantiated one. That a group of Miami fans. Purchased on secondary market tickets in the 3252 and plan on showing up wearing ACFC gear. So one of the major factors behind the 3252 putting out the statement that they put out today is not only to prevent people from showing up in messy Argentina jerseys, but in order to prevent Inter-Miami fans from posing as Angelinos within the 3252 in a bunch of pink ACFC gear, in order to make sure that there is pink visible in the background in the 3252, right? Um, so I think once the 3252 caught wind of those plans, uh, that really forced their hand in this regard. I think initially it was just going to be a, a no Argentina messy kits or, or Argentina gear for this game. And I think it ended up becoming you have to wear black and gold or 3252 apparel um, because of the nonsense that people have tried to do with this whole messy thing. And and I get it, right? Messy causes people to freak out. We've seen the prices tickets are selling for the demand and the attention around this game is insane. And so people are going to do anything they can. And in the soccer world, that often means the dark arts, something nefarious. And, and, you know, I think dumbly for them, they let it out that they were going to do it. And eventually people were going to find out and it forced the 3252 to not have an embarrassment on their hands of people rooting for Messi and the opposing team in our own supporters section, something that the entire community would be furious with and we would be laughed at around the world of soccer if we permitted. So let's be honest, this is for the betterment of LAFC and the 3252 and the fan experience and the stadium atmosphere and all those things. But to reiterate what Chris has said, don't be that jabroni that shows up to the North End with a messy kit on, with anything pink on, or, or trying to be an inner Miami fan in a section where you do not belong. Uh, and everyone knows that a supporter section is for the home team. That is not for away fans, uh, regardless of how much money you may have spent on your tickets on Ticketmaster. So uh, amen to that. Black out the bank in general. But if you are one of those people that's going to be wearing pink, do not be in the North End. Uh, you will be asked to leave or you will be asked to change into something appropriate. And and that's just a whole lot of hassle that 
let's be honest, the 3252 and the security at BMO don't need to bear that responsibility. You are smart enough as a soccer going fan to know where you should be if you're going to be wearing pink to BMO, which I anticipate there's going to be a lot of. I mean, we've already seen them selling pink messy kits uh, from the street vendors uh, for just regular LAFC games that don't even have Miami in it at all. So, you know, uh, we'll we'll see. But I think I think, my friend, that 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 about brings us to a close. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody stay safe. Represent the black and gold well. Uh, and uh, let's get that W this uh, this upcoming Sunday. Amen to that. We will talk to you next week after the results of LAFC versus Inter Miami. Until then, we'd like to thank you all for listening to this episode of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Please give us a follow at LAFC S2S on all your social media platforms. If you're interested in ever joining us to talk a little black and gold footy with us, by all means, drop us a DM. We would love to have you on the show to help share your opinions with us. But until then, that'll do it for today. Take us home, sticks. Shoulder to shoulder. Together, this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bitch.